You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Fly in the Call. Today I've got a short and sweet one for you with my conversation with Remember Sports. Their 2090s indie punk sound is perfect for the beautiful weather we've been having in Connecticut. It was a pleasure to break down their new album, Like a Stone, with Carmen. They have a record release show happening via Bandcamp Live this Saturday, and it's not one you're going to want to miss. And as a little bonus, I'm going to add the audio from the interview I did with Downhall for one of the Alternatives live streams a couple weeks back. We broke down each of the album's three singles. Proof is out tomorrow, and I cannot wait to see tons of people experience it for the first time. Enjoy it. I feel like Like a Stone feels like kind of the obvious next step for Remember Sports, but at the same time, kind of like a huge step forward. Um, and I, I know that, you know, the preparation and the studio environment were kind of more refined than they have been in the past, which I think probably leads to part of that. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of like that side of things and the effect it had on the album? Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, so it was our first time working in like a, a real studio with nice stuff. Um, so I think just um sort of taking the recording process a bit more seriously gradually is what we've been doing with the past few records because it's something we're all interested in and we all do on our own a fair amount but yeah it's every time we record together we learn something new from whoever we're doing it with so um yeah it was really cool it gave us a lot more space to play with ideas and to work different parts out um so yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is there anything in particular that stands out from your time in the studio that like you kind of weren't expecting? Um, no, I mean, I guess we've we've made a fair amount of albums at this point, and while all our recording experiences were pretty different, it's also pretty the same. It's a lot of just sitting around time for most um, people, and. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's just a lot of snacks consumed and that all felt pretty much the same. It's just that the space we were in was a bit nicer. And I feel like, especially on this album, the kind of like the the blending of the instrumentals and your voice, um, kind of just really feel, uh, especially dialed in and kind of like, you know, go really well with the overall sound of Remember Sports. Um, was that something that you were kind of like focused more on this time around than in the past? Um, yeah, I mean, I think a big difference for me this time was that when I was doing my vocals, I was like alone in the room and that felt really good. I feel like I'm a pretty physical person when I sing, but I like when anyone else is around, I just get so self-conscious. So I felt like I really, because I was alone, I could just like um, you know, do do what I needed to do to get the takes set. Good to me. 
I mean, like that blending that I was talking about kind of, I feel like it also allows for some of the really memorable moments on the album to me where like an instrument or two kind of briefly stands out on its own. Like, you know, the guitar solo materialistic or flossy dicky or like the bass part and falling awake. I'm curious how you kind of like approach those sections and like go about finding the right, you know, instrument or rhythm or tone for the moment. Yeah. Well, we did a lot of work like in pairs me and Jack would write, you know, a progression together or, um, you know, trade melodies back and forth or something like that. And sometimes me and Catherine would do that. Um, and a lot of times Catherine and Connor would sort of work as a rhythm pair to sort of work out um, different parts from the song or of the songs and just really make sure that like that aspect of it was like locked in. We did a lot of like pre- I guess pre-work for recording because we're pretty meticulous about it. So we we made um, a fair amount of demos before we actually recorded the album. So we like to be pretty pretty well prepared for like all the the basic tracking stuff, and then that leaves us time to try newer things or like try instruments that are laying around or that we've never tried before. So that was cool to get to have a chance to do. For sure. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, collaboration is kind of like, has been the name of the game surrounding this album. And I've seen you say that's something that you kind of want to lean into even more in the future. I'm curious how, you know, the writing process kind of compared to the past records. Yeah. I guess the funny thing is that it's, it's definitely our most collaborative record, but it's still mostly written by me alone but I I feel like it's the most I've ever been open to (laughs) collaborating with my bandmates just because it's like writing has always felt so personal to me and I think it's just like a skill to get to learn how to do that with other people and it's one I've been hesitant to work on in the past but I feel like I'm starting to get used to it and especially knowing Gavin and Jack for like 10 years at this point (laughs) I feel pretty comfortable with them so I think just the more more time we spend being a band together the easier it is to do that with them yeah that that definitely makes a lot of sense was there anything like in particular that kind of made you really want to kind of expand on that skill um I mean I think it just makes your work better a lot of times um I feel like I don't know. I've been writing songs for a while and, you know, like my skills only go so far and like my, I don't know, toolbox or whatever. And so it's just like opening, opening yourself up to other people's skills and like what they can bring to the table. I think it just always makes someone's work a little bit better just like Catherine and Jack are some of my favorite musicians so it's you know it's not so hard for them to (laughs) for them to improve on my work I think yeah I feel like the way you're talking about that brings to mind like the kind of thing where it's like you're you're kind of like the sum of like the five people that are closest to you or whatever like your friends that like the people that you uh choose to have in your company (laughs) definitely (laughs) and I had you know, I had the album on repeat, like, all afternoon. 
it was just kind of like the perfect weather for it. It was really hitting me the right way. Oh, and it, re- yeah, yeah. it really had me itching for, you know, live shows. Can you talk a little about kind of like capturing that energy and how the live performances compare to the record? Yeah, I, I think that from our inception as a band, we were really more interested in playing live shows than we were in recording. And when we did um, record some stuff earlier on, it was mostly just because we just like wanted some record of how we sounded live. And that was the impetus for that. But yeah, I feel like, I don't know if I've changed my position to like prefer recording more to playing live, but I feel like I have a greater just relationship, I think now with recording because I feel like I know what I'm doing a little bit more and I I have more resources. Like, knowledge-wise and gear-wise um yeah I mean obviously I love playing live too but um yeah I think we're getting less strict with ourselves about wanting everything on the record to be what we're able to play live and how is it you know with the the record release show coming up how uh how, how does it feel to kind of like be back in the saddle in that way on that side of things it feels really amazing um we hadn't played together at all during the pandemic. And I didn't play with music with anybody else either. So we had our first full band practice on Monday and it just like felt, (laughs) it just was like a feeling that I haven't felt in such a long time. It just was really nice. Um, But yeah, so I, you know, it's gonna be different with the release show on Saturday, but you know, cause there's no crowd and that part of the energy, but I'm just playing together right now. I mean, it makes me feel so cheesy, but it just, <laughs> it just is a really good feeling after, after not doing it for so long. Definitely. And I mean, this album has both the shortest and the longest remember sports tracks with Coffee Machine and Out Loud. And I mean, I think kind of in that fact, it kind of means that you don't strictly stick to uh, like the traditional kind of verse course verse structure. So I'd love to kind of hear about how you approach songwriting, you know, generally and kind of like when you know that a song is done. Yeah, um, I, that's a good question. How do I know when a song is done? Sometimes, sometimes I think I tend to want to go too far with a song that maybe didn't need to be as long as I made it. And it feels easier to me to cut stuff out than to add stuff after you've gotten used to a certain, I don't know, piece of a song. Um, But yeah, I think that a song like Coffee Machine, um, Jack wrote the music for and the melody and I just recorded vocals over a demo that he made for it. And he was like, we can expand on this. Like, this is just something I have to work on if you guys want. Um, and we all just sort of collectively decided like, no, it doesn't really need to be any longer than this. Like, it just feels like a nice song. Yeah, I don't know, I guess it's just a feeling. And then a song like Out Loud, we don't typically write very long songs. So it it was just a really good opportunity, I thought, to have room to play with dynamics, like with so many repeating choruses and repeating phrases and repeating parts of the song happening um you know 
there's way more room for um, different sounds and for different, uh, I don't know, just moments in the song that break it up, I guess. Yeah, and I think it like really speaks to the flow of the album that I didn't realize that, you know, those songs were so short and so long until I was reading like one of the interviews you did recently and they kind of like literally called it out and I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) that makes sense. Um, I'm curious, like how you kind of approached the uh, sequencing of the album? Well, I think we sort of knew, usually what I know when either we're, writing or sorry coming up with a an album track list or a set list i usually know what i want to begin and end with but the the middle all of the middle part is what's um (laughs) more fussy to me i think yeah i don't know i think i think we've all sort of decided collectively that jack is very good at making track lists and so usually we'll start by saying or jack will send us a track list at our request and you know, then the rest of us will like switch things around and like make edits or whatever. But um, I usually don't know where to begin. So it's nice to have like, sometimes it's just a matter of like, I like to write songs down on like little cards or something. So then I can like look at them and physically move them around and see what works with my eyes. But yeah, sometimes I feel like a good place to start is just like, throwing all the cards on the table and starting there and seeing where they start. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And I mean, I know out loud was kind of, you were toying with that being the closer versus odds are, and kind of went back and forth on that a few times. What was kind of like the thought process behind uh, figuring that out? Yeah. Well, I, I always like to end, I think on a pretty dramatic note, like our last album ends with the song unwell. And um, yeah, that's just kind of what I like in an album. <laughs> and I, I feel like I didn't want to do that again because it gets boring, um, though it is still pretty close to the end. <laughs> but yeah, Odds Are felt like a, just like a, a little levity at the end of the album because I think, I don't know, I guess it is still emotionally heavy, but there's less doom involved in this album than I think some of the other albums so it it was good to end on a lighter note I think (laughs) for sure yeah I feel like odds are works really well as the closer like to me it feels like one of those like you know celebratory like hands on each other's shoulders songs with everyone like rocking back and forth singing along yeah Yeah, that would be cool to see one day (laughs) all right Uh, can you talk a little about how that one came together yeah I kind of just I guess was singing the chicken tongs part one to myself and it was just sort of a dumb melody that I was messing around with and I don't know I I sort of like came up with enough of it in my head that I was like maybe I'll try to see if this can be a full song um so yeah I don't know it feels just like kind of a dumb country song which (laughs) is a genre that I really respect um and we listen to a lot of like country radio. Um, the genre, I think, is just very, very out there these days. There's a lot of different, <laughs> there's a lot of different crossovers happening. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it just is sort of my my version of a 
a little country song, I guess. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I grew up on like 90s radio country and I really appreciate any time like a band within like our realm like can bring in those influences. It's like, or the one or two like country albums that like make their way through to me every year. I'm like, yes, this is, this feels right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and then another song I wanted to hit on is eggs which i feel like every time that it comes on that first line my eggs flow right out of me like clockwork every month just like kind of just catches me a little bit off guard (laughs) can you talk a little (laughs) bit about you know that song um yeah i guess i feel like i um i sort of regret making um making such a noticeable first line because that's (laughs) not really what i wanted to fixate on um (laughs) in in the whole song but yeah, I, I I think that that song in particular is just sort of, well, that was a collaboration between me and Catherine. That was an example of when I felt like a song was finished and then I sent it to everyone and Catherine was like, I think I want to add another part to this. So we added the middle section where <laughs> the long solo is. And yeah, it just turned it into a really different, like dirgy, dark song than what I had initially written, which was just the three verses, really. So, yeah, I think that song sort of is about just feeling like your body is machinery and (laughs) just, like, is something that can be controlled or fine-tuned and um, instead of just, like, being a part of you. So yeah <laughs> and how how did the kind of like those additional lyrics or the digital parts like how did that kind of uh change like the f- overall feel of the song for you um well adding the additional part it just sort of I guess it sort of turned it more into a twangy song I think what Catherine added which was something there when I wrote it initially but not as emphasized um and yeah she played side guitar on that which just sounds country no matter how you do it really <laughs> for sure yeah I, I mean overall I'd say like remember sports has like a really unique sound which kind of means you don't have like many direct peers that people can like point to and be like they sound like this band I'm kind of curious like how that kind of has affected your sense of community as a band um yeah I think people do try to say that we're like the same sort of group of bands um (laughs) and sometimes I feel like I agree I think that there's definitely I don't know I don't know I don't think I can speak to how unique we are because I'm too close but (laughs) um I I feel like with bands who are you know exist in a community like we live in Philly I, I think that you just naturally pick up on each other's sort of I guess I don't want to say ideas like there's plagiarism happening, but I think just like, you know, ideas <laughs> and like ways of being and ways of making that just sort of links you together, even if the music doesn't really sound all that similar. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the bands that you kind of like feel that kinship with? Um, well, we're pretty close with the band Friendship in Philly. And I guess they're also sort of an alt twang (laughs) twangy sort of band but yeah I think I don't know we just have made a lot of friends in music 
just from touring and being a band for all these from all these years and I feel like every time we tour with a band for sure I definitely like I learn something from the other band every time that like sticks with me Awesome. <laughs> and then I, I always like to wrap up every episode the same way, which is just by asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately that you wanted to share, whether it's, you know, music or life or whatever else. Oh, yeah. I think definitely go outside every single day. <laughs> this is something I'm thinking about right now because I haven't been outside today. And I think I need to just go and like recharge in the sun for a second. And it makes me so much happier. <laughs> nice yeah I, I feel that it's been so great being able to actually be outside of the house lately <laughs> yeah it's happening more but then I feel like I like in my in my downtime I, I have to still um persuade myself to go outside if I wasn't planning to already <laughs> <laughs> got you got you oh. and is there anything else that we haven't hit on about either like a stone or the band in general that you've been kind of itching to get out there um well, our, as you already said, we have a release show on Saturday that is online, which will not be the same as a normal show, but I think it will still be cool. And you can, it's on Bandcamp Live, so you can get tickets to it on our Bandcamp, on our merch page. And I, I have, do have to say, I've had an experience of hooking up my like my nice speakers to my TV for some of the live streams that I've seen oh, recently. Really? And it, it really uh, brings it to a whole nother level. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good to hear. We, we have spent a lot of time meticulously planning the audio and video aspect of this, which we're not used to doing. So I, mean, I hope it turns out okay. <laughs> that was my conversation with Remember Sports. And here I am speaking with Downfall. My name is Gordon, and I play guitar and sing in Down Hall. And my name is Robbie, and I play guitar. Awesome. And I'm Scott. I'm the host of Fly on the Call, and I'm coming at you with Gordon and Robbie from Down Hall, as they just said, so I'll probably edit this out. But <laughs> um, So yeah, I, I guess I wanted to start with uh, Eyesight, which was the first taste of Proof before it was officially announced, and kind of along with that, you dropped... The, the classic, you know, recording in the studio video with it. Um, and now that I've t- have had time to like really sit with the album as a whole, I appreciate kind of using Eyesight Toucher and that new sound and kind of uh, the album as a whole. Um, and, you know, from the video, it seems like it was a pretty intense and emotional recording process. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, how the album as a whole came together. Probably you can take that one. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking to the video, like I think video is something that we've heard from everyone that likes downhaul or is involved in downhaul stuff is that they always wanted a music video and we're just like not a music video band. <laughs> Shouts to anyone that is like that takes guts and that's just like not who we are. Um, so when we were like, okay, we'll give you a video. We'll just have our, our, our good buddy, Connor from nonfiction and cemetery tapes come to the studio for a few days, get some footage and just like stitch that together. And, um, uh, so, and it, I think it came out really awesome. He did a really great, great job with the video, but I think the other thing that it did was it highlighted sort of like something that we were like very proud of with the album is just like the process in the studio and, um, just sort of like how much fun we had and how hard we worked. Um, and I hope that that came across in the video. 
Um, so I think it was sort of fitting that it was that. Like, I don't, I know that they're like, the song Eyesight is not about being in a recording studio. So thematically, it might not seem like a great fit, but I just think it, it all does work together well. Um, and like, to your point about sort of it being a good entryway to like the album as a whole, like that was pretty deliberate as well, because I think it's a good um, sort of like meeting point between what people may have heard from Down Hall before and what we're doing on the new album. Um, so, you know, it's it's five minute song, so it's not like typical single length, but I think it was a really good sort of like entryway into, into new Down Hall, Down Hall 2.0. Um, uh, and like sort of a good sort of bridge as well. So like, you know, the if you listen to Leverage and then you listen to Eyesight, like you may sort of pick up on a lot of similarities sonically and just like thematically and like the ideas that and how we like constructed the song, um, which wasn't like super deliberate, but it came across when we were writing it. And then we sort of realized that this is just sort of like what we wanted to do with Leverage. And, um, and I think it came across really well. And like, I just, um, I think I put this out on Twitter that like when we like were listening back to that song, like I, you know, like I mentioned to Gordon in the car on the way home, I was like, man, I, like I kind of like choked up, like teared up in the studio, and he was like, dude, I did too. Like that was just like a very rewarding experience, and so like I'm glad that that was the first song that people could hear from the from the record. Nice, yeah, and and um, Standing Water being the the official album release uh, drop. Um, it's you know that one's that's one that's very closely linked with uh you know college years and where you lived during that time and um I'd, lo- I'd love to hear a little bit more about how can, kind of how that came together and you know what you hope people draw from these you know specific vivid descriptions of you know these places that you know so kind of intimately so standing water has like an opener kind of feel to it i think it has to do with like that big major like descending kind of sure-footed chord progression um it's like like you know the one seven six five four five four something like that in terms of the theory of it all but it has a very big like driving sort of pulse to it that lent itself to kind of like an announcement feel um but it didn't exactly have the scale of an album opener uh, so it made a lot of intuitive sense as like the start of the B side of the album. And also we could use it as the announcement single without like giving up too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your actual question, uh, I-, I guess my hope with that song, other than um, selfishly to kind of like, put all of these sentiments and like places into a time capsule was even for people who haven't been to that area in Virginia or anything like that could kind of read into it their own connection to places they've been or places they've lived not just in college but like any time of life where you come to a new area and you live there and then you move away it's like a very romantic thing and it was Mm -hmm easy for me to kind of um, like re-inhabit those spaces, not just geographically, but kind of emotionally and sentimentally. For sure. And, uh, you know, the single, the final single for the album is going to be Dried, which, uh, you know, kind of makes up this really big one-two punch of the album's intro, you know, kind of spanning the first probably quarter of the album. 
can you talk a little about kind of that one and what you know people can expect from when when that one drops? Well, my initial reaction is bear with us because it starts with like seventy seconds of noise uh, and music, right? There's no vocals for some time, um, but I think that song, Olivia, who's our publicist, shouts out. Um, made like she's always like making memes and sending them to us and she's the best but she did one that was like uh is this the best bridge is it even a bridge <laughs> i was like you can call this a bridge <laughs> and then she was like okay so like dry bridge versus architect bridge for best downhaul bridge um and i think the the bridge to dry is like I was trying not to do that. One of these like really overly wordy like verses that I always do where it's like a bunch of like four syllable words, five syllable words, like no pauses, nothing repeating, like band hits underneath. Like whenever we were talking about that song and assessing it, we were thinking like, this is the song that sounds the most like old downhaul is kind of like what the four of us were thinking about that song. Um, especially if you were to like, chop off the end and chop off the beginning and make it three and a half minutes long like that could be on another release um but i think what kind of makes that bridge so big is like it's one of the few times i'm playing chords on the baritone guitar across the album and it just like comes at you like sonically the way chris arranged those things and eq'd it and layered it like when those baritone chords start in the bridge of dried like you can't miss it um so don't turn the song off until you get to the bridge <laughs> yeah and just sort of like adding to that the i i remember dried coming along pretty late in the process and um so by that time it was um we were working more <laughs> remotely um and so when we were demoing and sort of like um you know left to our own devices to write our parts i had a little bit of trouble with that one because um you know the the first part of it and the, like the most of it like gordon's baritone is doing a lot of work and in a, in an atypical way to the rest of the album so i was like used to writing a certain way, you know, my parts at least for the, like the previous songs that we had written. And then when it came to that one, I was a little bit intimidated by it. And I was, I think I was able to sort of, um, it's something that I tried to do for a lot of the songs was um, not make it sound like it was two guitars. Um, and like, I think on the first album, we got caught up in just like all of this crazy guitar work. And like, it may not sound like that crazy, to, but it was crazy for us. And so for this, for this album and for Dried, like I really wanted to make it sound sort of like as like one thing, like, and it wasn't so much of like left guitar, right guitar, like it was just sort of like the sound of the album, like the palette of the, of the song. Um, and, um, and then like the middle parts, I, I think really, you know, to Gordon's point about, it, a point about it being like a, a lot like the old material, I think that first where everything drops out and it's just like Pat, playing bass and then like the keyboards come in like I think that's like one of the other first big moments of the album where you're like okay like this isn't the band that I'm used to hearing um and I think it's I think that was um really rewarding to hear back when Chris sort of put it all together um and then it sort of wraps up with you know try and true <laughs> Gordon Bridge 
Um, but everything around it, I think, is just sort of like it's indicative of, of the direction of the album. And um, six eight, which I love, back to back to writing in six eight. So I, I love a great six eight song. So that was really exciting for me personally. Um, and I'm, you know, it could have that we were talking about putting that song out as their first single, but I think it works really, really, really well as the last little taste before you get the album. Um, because like it, it sounds like downhill, but it's it's very much like rooted in like the new downhill, um, and uh, it's just like a really great song. And like I think it, um, you know, by the end of it, you're just sort of like slack jawed a little bit, just sort of like, wow, I don't even know what just happened, but I think I like it. So um, yeah, I, I think it, I think it's a it's a it's a good single choice for that reason. That's another episode wrapped. Two really fun conversations about two of my favorite releases in a year that's going to make it hard for choosing year-end lists. But that won't stop my never-ending quest to find even more great music. Don't forget to check out Downhall's new album, Proof, out tomorrow, and the Remember Sports record release show via Bandcamp live on Saturday. Flying the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyingTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyingTheCallPod at gmail.com. Find the music you love and never shut up about it. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.